Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Greetings to those who watch below. Before we start today's video, I want to say a big thank you to Steffi Ray, Lisa Watts, Lefty Kim, and Ghost City Shelton for being those who dwell below. If you'd like to join them below, make sure to check out the link in the description box. Today it's time for another edition of Haunted Lives, a more long-form and detailed paranormal tale. This one concerns that creature of nightmares from when you were a child. The spectre under the bed. The ghost in the closet. The boogeyman. So sit back and enjoy The Boogeyman's Cabin by Old Dude. Today it seems that every town has a folklore tale that places claim that they are the real origin of the boogeyman. My town is such a town, however, I have some substantial history to back up our claim. I'm from a small town south of Windsor, Ontario, in Canada. The town of Amherstburg is the quintessential paranormal small town, representing horror movie classic attributes, but in real life. The historical Indian Wars, burial grounds, the Wars of 1812, the Underground Railroad, witch burnings, an insane asylum, a burnt down town, historical churches, moved graves, it's got it all, including the home of the boogeyman. I first heard the story from a history teacher in my high school, and since then I've done tons of research and site visits throughout the years. One of my visits created its own horror story. The town legend of the boogeyman goes back to those early British days in the late 1700s and early 1800s, when the town of Hammersburg was under protection of the military fort Malden. One of the local heroes of the 1812 wars was a man named Matthew Elliot. Early in his life he was married to an Indian Shawnee woman and became friends with the local tribes. However, after the war and the death of his Indian wife, he was said to have changed. He became a feared man and was a cruel slave master. He moved to Amherstburg and became a fur trader and was also the town's official Indian superintendent in charge of representing the Indian interests in Amherstburg area. He was said to be corrupt and always battling to instill his harsh punishments into law against the opinions of government and town council. He was also said to favour the Shawnee tribe, but was ruthless to others such as the Abidjwe, Blackfoot or Cree. He often conducted unfair trade and sly deals and then would publicly whip or punish those who did not uphold to their end of the shady deals. After a few years, his bad business tactics left him financially broke and the other local traders started to boycott him because of his cruelty and corruption. Elliot, falling on hard times, squeezed his way into the law and became a local judge. This allowed him to conduct his shady deals and through law, make his cruel actions legal. All this time his trades became sinister. He often took advantage of Indian traders, 
getting them drunk and smooth-talking them into trades that would leave their villages deprived. When the Indian traders returned to negotiate their bad deals, he would come across very irate and threaten them with persecution under the laws, which he controlled. This typically led to late-night raids on his property by the traders to steal back their valuables. Elliot would then execute or punish any raiders he caught, typically shooting them on sight, or tying them to a tree and whipping them nearly to death. He was cruel, and showed no compassion even for younger Indian children. For those that got away with the valuables, he would exercise the law and grant himself legal rights to collect the valuables or compensations in due of lost profits. This was basically allowing him to go into the Indian village and steal back anything of value. He would do this under legal rights, which meant he would have the local law and British soldiers protecting him. Regardless to say, the local Indian villagers became very poor and deprived. Soon Elliot would find nothing of value in the villages to compensate his lost profits, so he would take their children and sell them as slaves. This angered the Indian elders so much that Indian villagers started to rebel against British law. The elders banned all trade with him, and he became known as Boogity, or the Boogity Man, which was an insult meaning foul breath or poisoned words. His name warned all the Native Americans to his nature and not to trade with him. The town council, seeing an impending political problem and a very real threat of violence, solicited the government to finally step in and strip Elliot of his Indian superintendent title. He worked closely with his replacement and other town superintendents to continue his business trades, but the bite of his cruelty was significantly hedged by more compassionate people. Elliot eventually returned to the military and led several successful raids against the Americans and became known as a local war hero, but few know the story of his past. He died of illness some years later, but the legend of his cruelty haunted the Indian villages and his stories quickly spread. Traders often referred to him incorrectly as the Boogeyman and would threaten to sick him on suspected Indian traders that they were concerned were possibly conducting a raid to reclaim their valuables. Over the years, the threat has been used as a fear control story that was eventually watered down and told to children who would not listen. There are stories about school teachers threatening the Indian children in their classes with the boogeyman to control their conduct. So with this long-winded history lesson, I was eager to find out if it was real. Matthew Elliott's house did really exist in Amherstburg, just past the southern town limit. Across the road from the old Boblo docks, 20 years ago, this was a small wooded area with a stone foundation set back about an eighth of a mile from the road. As a kid, this was one of the number one spots I wanted to check out, and we eventually found the foundation and a historical picture of the cabin in the town's library. So at night in the fall, we visited the site. The forest is on an elevated segment of ground, about 12 feet above lake level, and directly across from the mouth of Lake Erie, where it meets the tail of the Detroit River. This is a bad area for night fog, and faster roll-in fog. This night was similar to many fall nights, and fog was rolling in quick. This night, unlike some of my other encounters with the paranormal, did not involve the consumption of alcohol. I was with my girlfriend at the time, and we parked our car at the road, and quickly moved into the woods to find the rock foundation. The first thing we found was the bones of a large deer, followed by several other bone pals in the area. I was even able to identify a few. Cats, raccoons, birds, and even a very large snake. 
The bone piles were all old and had been there a long time. They were clean and white. As we moved through the trees, we noticed that the bones were all in one area of the woods, and many of the trees were also dead. Most were stripped of their bark and hollowed out. So, to avoid the creepiness of all the dead animals, we moved back farther into the woods. Soon, we were forced to take out flashlights, as the faded evening light had gone and fog was moving in. At this time, we had still not found the foundation of the house. I could tell my girlfriend was getting freaked out and uncomfortable with the deteriorating visibility, so I told her we'd only stay a few minutes more. We moved further back into the woods. At this point, we were very near a swamp in the back of the forest, and near a bunch of tall elephant grass that surrounded the area. It was getting dark, but just before I was about to call it quits, my flashlight passed a wooden structure buried in leaves. I moved to it and brushed it off. It was a wooden wagon wheel that was wrapped in a steel band. It was badly rotted, but it made sense to me that it might be near the site of the old cabin. This discovery gave us new hope and interest, so we continued to look. Soon we started to find all sorts of old wooden planks and broken glass and window frames, all seemingly from the 1800s era. Could this be the site where the boogeyman's house was? At the time I really believed I'd found the place, it had to be it. But the dark night was making it very hard to see any resemblance of a foundation. I kicked the leaves around and dragged my feet in large sweeping motions, looking for a rock of significant size. But the ground was surprisingly void of any rocks. Further back, along the outer edge of the long grass, the swamp waters began, and all signs of wood or farm cabin debris were gone. So we moved back up past the area where we'd found the wood stuff, and to one of the last areas of the woods that we had not yet been in. The night cold had started to set in, and our hopes of finding the foundation were quickly dwindling again. I was in a state of focused concentration on the ground, and in a split second, the life energy jumped out of me when my girlfriend screamed. I literally phased out of consciousness for a split second, and my vision fuzzed as my heart pounded in my inner ears. My throat instantly went dry, and I gasped as my clamping chest struggled to get air into my lungs. By the few seconds it took me to recover from my 2x4 upside the head onset of fear, my girlfriend was rushing to my side, blindly leaping through the forest in a hysterical state. I asked what was wrong. She was white and shaking. I looked around, not seeing any danger. She choked back her tears and said she had seen a pale, ragged little girl looking back at her from the shadows behind the trees. I flashed my flashlight around the trees and couldn't see anything, except the light from her flashlight that she had dropped on the ground when she screamed and started running towards me. The fog made it hard to see far, and I couldn't see the flashlight very well at all as the light was still on and facing us. It backlit the fog in the air and made that area in that direction very blurry. I decided that wisdom would prevail over courage and that we would leave the woods and continue our search for the cabin another day. We moved to retrieve the flashlight, and just as we were getting close to it, a shadow passed through the light. We froze in spot, and the shadow actually moved back into the light for a second, and paused at the edge of the haze. I could tell it wasn't a big shadow, but I immediately thought that there was no way we were going to get close to the flashlight, so we made a run for the car. On the way back to the woods, we were moving quickly, and with only one flashlight it was hard to see. Suddenly, we both tripped, and fell flat into a thick layer of leaves. 
I shot the flashlight over to my girlfriend who was picking herself up. She looked okay. I was as well, so I shot the light back to see what we had tripped over. It was a pile of rocks. I quickly realised this was the stone foundation of the boogeyman's house. It wasn't very large, about the double the size of a modern shed. It was sitting in a little depression in the ground and in a small clearing. The leaves were thick in the centre of the square and we started to brush them away to reveal more. I took a few small stones and put them in my pocket. As I picked up a few more stones, I found a rusty pin. It was stuck in the mortar of the stones. It was only about three inches long, big for a needle, but was very thin, and I soon realised that it was hand-fashioned. I pulled it out and lifted it. Something dangled from the end of the needle. It was a small, dried, crispy black cord, and on the cord were several small shells. At the end was several hand-tied knots and a small dried grass object. I moved it closer to get a good look at it. It was several thick blades of grass, folded and tied in the shape of a person, a girl doll with a skirt. This was freaky, so I dropped the needle and looked over to my girlfriend, who moments before was studying the old necklace with me, but she was now looking around the trees. Worried that the shadow had returned, I quickly shone the light around. She asked me, do you realise where we are? I soon clued in. We were in the middle of the dead tree spot with all the little bone piles. We decided enough was enough and we quickly left the woods and returned to the car. We got in and drove about two to three miles up the road and then pulled over to talk about what we had seen. It was amazing and scary all at once and I really wanted to go back and find the necklace but my girlfriend wasn't interested in returning any time in her life. She was not into this stuff and the fears weighed heavy on her. Calming down and catching our breath, we started to relax and joke about her scream and how bad it scared me and how she was leaping through the trees. Just as we started to forget our fears and get comfortable again, the windows on the car started to fog up as we continued to talk. Seconds later, I found the strike of fear piercing my innards like a lightning bolt. As we were talking and fogging the windows, I realised that there were dozens of little handprint smears on all the windows. Regardless to say, we quickly went home and washed the car. The neighbours must have thought us nuts for washing the car in the middle of the night, as the handprints were all over the body of the car too. That night, I realised something about the legend of the boogeyman. I had gone into the woods looking to see the foundation of the boogeyman's cabin, worried that his ghost might be haunting it but it is not he who we have to fear. What I discovered there in the woods is that the spirits of those children he stole and the victims he killed were what we needed to fear. They were angry and not ready to pass on. It has been many years now since that night. About 15 years ago the town bulldozed the site and there is now a nice little modern house built in the exact location. An 1812 warway marker plaque now is posted at the roadside marking the spot by Colonel Matthew Elliott, the war hero's house once stood. If only they knew the history of that place. I guys really hope you enjoyed today's video. If you did, make sure to like, share, comment and subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Also hit the notification bell, that way you'll know when the next video is live. Make sure to come back for our next instalment of Paranormal October. It's only going to get creepier. So, until next time, sleep tight. 
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu.